This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Good morning. Could we turn to Acts 8 for just a minute? Acts 8, I don't have this on your charts. You've got a device or a Bible there if you'd look at that with me. Acts 8 and verse 26. This is the, the great story of Philip and the Ethiopian man. The Bible says, And Philip, by the ways up in Samaria, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How may I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. <clears throat> the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch said unto Philip, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Then Philip, excuse me, Philip opened his mouth, began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. <clears throat> this is a story of a man that came all the way up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem just to worship God. As the crow flies, that would be about 1,700 miles. If we want to be exact, 1,679 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem as the crow flies around the, through, up through Egypt and around and making the turn and everything at Gaza and through there. Probably close to 2,000 miles that this man wrote, rode in a chariot. And uh, so that's a long way to go. On the way back, Philip met him on the road on his return, preached unto him Jesus, and stopped and baptized this man right there. It's a beautiful story of his conversion. Look how far he traveled in a chariot. When you think about traveling close to 2,000 miles, making maybe four miles an hour, think how many hours that took him. Think how many days. He may have been 50 days on the road one way. 
Imagine that. Imagine taking that kind of ride. Whatever's pulling his, his cart, his chariot, whatever carriage he's riding in, has to have feed along the way. They have to have water. He has to stop for rest. They have to rest the, the uh, uh, horses or whatever's pulling his chariot. And so it's a long, tough journey this man made just to go to Jerusalem. What a sacrifice he made. This morning we've had a family drive up all the way from the Gulf Coast, from the ocean, just to be here with us because they're seeking the Lord too, just like this man did 2,000 years ago. And the Ford family's come today to be with us and to share their baptism with this congregation. And it's just a special day. It's a special day. It's a day I've looked forward to ever since we made plans. And now it's here and I'm so excited today. I'm excited for them. And we are thrilled with their love for the Lord and their devotion to Him and their desire to make things right with God in their life. You know, we're broadcasting every Wednesday out of a little room right over here that's no bigger than a lot of people's walk-in closets. And we get contacts from out of the Philippines and from Africa and Belize and India. And we got contacted one, night, one time by a fellow from Idaho. His name was Justin Ford. And he had some questions that he'd heard on some of our videos and that led to more discussion and of course mainly their study and their honest heart. And they have studied carefully the Word of God and checked everything to their satisfaction. They love the truth and now they know the truth and they want to obey the truth. And the truth makes us free. They will be made free today. It's a beautiful day. We should rejoice in this. And we do. The study you have in front of you is on baptism. It's, it's that for a reason because before we baptize Justin and Erica and Lila, we want to go through this study and making sure again that they have an opportunity one more time to hear the gospel and to hear it explained a little bit. <clears throat> and it will be good for the rest of us to join with them in this study. <clears throat> no doubt some of you that are here today are contemplating baptism. Some of you still have that to do in your future. And you'll be able to go through a study this is, of this as well. As we take them today to baptize them, there may be some of you that decide, hey, I would like to be baptized too. And it's a perfect day to do that and a perfect opportunity. And this will be a good study for you. And if you desire today to make this the day that you give your life over to the Lord, well, you have that opportunity today. So, hope that the study will be a benefit to a lot of people. Also, some of you will be trying to teach other folks the gospel. This is material that you need to take and share with other people and teach it to them. And uh, so you'll have these charts as a guide for that. Let's introduce our thoughts on the back side, if you'll flip it over. You'll see there the records of the Great Commission. The Great Commission. There are three different records of the commission in Scripture. One's in Matthew, one's in Mark, one's in Luke. John is the only one of the writers of the Gospels who does not give us a record of the Great Commission. But here are the three. First, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power 
that is all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. There's Matthew's record. Now Mark's in Mark 16, 15 and 16, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. And then in Luke's record, pardon me, Luke 24, verse 45 to 47, Luke says of Christ, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. When you pull the details out of all three records, that is, when you combine them and take all the details from all three of them, you get a complete record now of what all the Lord wanted done and said in the Great Commission. Down here at the bottom, first of all, He said to teach. We read that we're to teach all nations, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So He wanted folks taught. He wanted preaching done to every person. Then He mentions belief, that we must believe what's preached. He that believeth, He said, and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. And then he mentions repentance, and he wants that preached. Luke's record said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. He wants those that have been taught who believe and repent to be baptized. And Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He gives the authority for the baptizing. He says, Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And remember also we learn in Luke's record that repentance and remission of sins are to be preached in His name among all nations. So in the name of Christ. And then He wants more teaching done. He said in Matthew's record, Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So the, the teaching really never stops. From start to finish it's teaching. It's teaching. It's teaching. As we look at those details, he says that we are to teach or to preach the gospel. There on the front side, if you'll flip over and look in the top center column, I raised a question, why must we teach? Why must we preach? Why does God want preaching? If I may quote 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. What the world calls foolishness, preaching, is what God has chosen to save them that believe. And we may ask why. Romans 10 verse 13 and 15 has a great expo, ex, explanation that I, I just love this passage. Paul said in verse 13 that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we know from Acts 22 and 16 that we arise and are baptized and wash away our sins calling on the name of the Lord. And we know this calling is done in the act of baptism. 
But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, he said they'll be saved. Then he raises a series of questions. How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So when you, when you take this order that Paul gave here in Romans, we send out preachers who preach. People hear the word. And remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when they hear, they're able to believe and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But it all starts with the sending out of preaching. And nobody's saved without preaching. Everyone has to have preaching. If you'll think back, back on your conversion, you heard preaching. Preaching. Teaching of the Word. That's what it takes. Lana, for example, from a child, grew up hearing preaching. Plain Bible preaching. And it saved her. And of course that's true of all of us here. And that's why the Lord wants us to go preach and to teach the gospel. Without it, no one's saved. And we may not have realized it, but in here out of this room as we were broadcasting on Wednesdays, honest hearts up in Idaho at that time were listening. And that's why Justin and the family are here. They heard the preaching of the gospel right out of this small room over here. People are hearing that all the time. We've baptized people up in Minnesota, remember, up in, up in uh, Iowa and places like this that have heard us right out of this little space here because it takes the preaching of the Word before someone can be saved. Now, remember, Jesus also said there on the backside in the details of the commission that we must believe. So I've raised a question here on the front, what must we believe? And of course it's the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 4, if you'll read with me. Paul said to the Corinthians, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, also I, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. If you'll look at the top chart up on the left corner, there's a picture of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. The Bible says He was buried. He rose again the third day. These are the great facts of the gospel that one must believe. These are the things that must be taught. People need to understand that Christ died for our sins, that that day He bore our sins in His own body on the cross and paid the debt for sin, the wages of sin being death. You know, back under the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, remember, they brought two goats to the tabernacle of the congregation. And if you'll remember, the high priest would take his hands and lay them on the head of a goat, symbolically transferring his sins and the sins of the people over to this animal. One of those goats was called a scapegoat. It was the lucky goat, I guess in a way. Because when, when he laid the sins of the people symbolically over on that goat, it was led off into the wilderness and turned loose symbolizing the carrying of our sins out of God's presence and out of His sight forever. The other goat wasn't so lucky. The high priest laid hands on that goat, symbolically transferring sin to it. And then they cut its throat. They collected its blood. 
This goat was innocent. It hadn't done anything. They took the goat of the blood of that goat inside into the Holy of Holies, the very back room, the most holy place. And there that blood was sprinkled on the ark, on the mercy seat, on the horns of it, on the crown around it. It was sprinkled all around the floor of the Holy of Holies in there to sanctify it. Now remember, that blood there couldn't take away sin because the life of the goat was not equivalent to the life of a human. It couldn't pay the debt. You can kill all the goats in the world and the blood of them, the life of them, will never equal the value of one human life. They are not sufficient to pay our sin debt. And what God was teaching is that there is one coming whose blood has the value, whose life has the value of paying the debt for all of our lives and more. You see, the life of the Son of God was given at Calvary when Jesus shed His blood. And the reason that blood is so valuable, and by the way, blood is the life of the flesh. The reason that life is so valuable, it's the life of the Son of God. And you can't create enough human beings to equal the value of Jesus' life. You cannot. His life is so much more valuable than ours. It's like one human life compared to goat lives. And so you'd never have enough human beings that the blood of Jesus couldn't redeem. It's that valuable. I don't know of anything in the universe more precious, more valuable than that blood. You can think about diamonds and oil and gold and everything, but what is it that can purchase our salvation other than this blood? What price can be paid for sin that will satisfy the wrath of God, enable Him to be just when He justifies us, except the blood of the divine Son of God? That's it. And so people need to know this. They've got to be taught these things. When we take communion this morning, we will remember that blood. Remember the value of that blood. As we drink that fruit of the vine to remember it today. Remember how precious it is because it's, it's the only thing between us and the devil's hell. It's the only thing that will remit sins. So people need to be taught that Christ died for our sins that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. And then we're told in the Great Commission that next in the plan of salvation, having heard the gospel and believed it, we have to repent. And so I raised a question also here on the front. Why? Why do we need to repent and how do we? One reason we need to repent is that if we don't, we're going to perish. Christ said in Luke 13 in verse 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. To repent means to change one's mind. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. It's where a person resolves in their heart, I am tired of the sin, the life of sin that I'm living. I'm turning from this. I'm going to turn back to God. I'm going to start doing right. When we have deeply resolved in the heart, to do those things and have made that change, that's repentance. It's usually brought about by godly sorrow. Look at 2 Corinthians 7.10 there on the front. 2 Corinthians 7.10, right about dead center. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. 
Godly sorrow is what works repentance. If you wonder what makes a person repent, it's godly sorrow for sin. And how's godly sorrow produced? God has two ways of producing sorrow for sin. Number one, His goodness. The goodness of God. Ever thought about how good God is to us? Paul wrote to the Romans and said, Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So in the Bible we're told about God's goodness. Christ talked about the goodness of God once. He said that, that God is kind to the unthankful. He is, isn't He? Jesus said that He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good. God is kind to folks. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the wicked farmer gets rain just like the Christian farmer does. God's just good to people. He's kind to the unthankful, even folks that hate Him, that despise Him, that will not serve Him, that will not worship Him. God's just good to them. He gives them the breath of life. He sustains them with food. He fills their hearts with gladness and with good things every day. The world may trudge on and not remember Him or ever think of Him, but He's constantly good to them. And it's His goodness that's part of what leads us to repent. When we get to reflecting as we hear the gospel on how good God is, how much He loved us in sending His Son, just how good He is to create us in His image and place us on this beautiful earth. It's one of those inducements that produces godly sorrow. We get to thinking about our life and tears flow and we get sorry for what we've done. And then God uses another thing to induce repentance, His wrath, His anger. The Bible warns us of a day of judgment. There's going to come a day when God's going to come unglued, when His mercy will be no longer. And God will unleash that wrath. He's always done this throughout the Bible. We have examples. When Sodom and Gomorrah got so wicked God couldn't stand it anymore, He rained down fire and brimstone on that on those cities and destroyed them. They've never been found. When he got angry at the world in Noah's day, he destroyed everybody but eight humans with water. God has an anger point from which he cannot turn back, and one day he'll reach that with us. And all of this sin and wickedness and corruption we see around us one day, God will take care of it and he will punish it in his own time. He's long-suffering right now but His mercy will run out one day. So the Bible warns us of a day of judgment. Paul told the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers there in Athens on Mars Hill who thought they were wise men of their day when actually they were fools. They were ignorant. He said, for the time of, the time of this ignorance God winked at. He used to overlook your ignorance. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. He warns of a day of judgment that's coming. Now these two ingredients, brethren, induce what we call repentance. They cause a person to repent. We get to thinking about how good God has been to us, and we get to thinking about the day of wrath. 
And those things bring about in us a change, a godly sorrow. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. And that's what the Bible's saying about repentance. These ingredients bring that about. And they're brought about in the gospel because here's where we hear the preaching of the word and we're told about how good God is and about this day of wrath. And we warn people. Paul once said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know the terror of the Lord, don't we? We've read it many times in Scripture. We see it in examples everywhere. So we have preaching and we hear the word and we believe and we repent. And then Jesus said, baptize them. What's baptism all about? What happens in baptism? Let's read there on the front. Front center, toward the bottom, Romans 6, verse 3 to 7. Read that with me. Paul now, in writing to the Romans, sometimes, and usually in these letters like Romans, he's writing to Christians, instructing them in Christian duties. But every now and then in a letter like Romans, he will refer back to what they did in becoming Christians. And that's what he does in Romans 6. When you read the first verses of it, he said, What shall we say then to these things? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein, he asked them. And then he reminds them in verses like uh, 3 through 7, how they became dead to sin. He said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Let's look at these verses and notice uh, the second picture below the top one up there on the left. Here's a picture of what happens in baptism. At the top is pictured the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose the third day. In baptism, we go through a likeness of His death, burial, and resurrection. We believe the gospel, and then we obey the gospel in baptism. The Bible talks about obeying the gospel. Now the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. How do you obey Christ's death, burial, resurrection? You do it in baptism, don't you? Paul said we're baptized into His death. Right here's where we die with Jesus. Paul said our old man is crucified with Him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Here's where sin's destroyed. Here's where we die. If you'll remember Galatians 2 and 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, he says. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. When was Paul crucified with Christ? Exactly the same place all of us are in baptism. Our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Right here is where we die to sin. We're baptized into his death. We die with Jesus. 
God has said to us in essence, do you believe my son died for your sin? Will you die with him in the act of baptism? Will you die? And so in baptism, you're baptized into his death and you die there with him. When Jesus died, he was buried. In the act of baptism, we're buried with Christ. And so we go through a burial. Paul said, therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death that the body of sin might be destroyed, remember. So we go through a burial, a likeness of his burial, expressing our faith in his burial. That's why sprinkling does not work for baptism. It's not a burial. You cannot go through a likeness of Christ's burial by having sprinkling for baptism. I don't know why people never think of this. But baptism has to be a burial because it's a likeness of the Lord's burial. See? That's why Paul said in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism. Not sprinkled with Him, but buried with Him. And so in, in going through a likeness of His burial, we express our faith in His burial. See, Jesus then, after three days, was raised from the dead. He rose again. You and I are raised from the water. And so we go through a likeness of His resurrection. We express our faith in the risen Jesus by rising with Him to a new life just as He raised from the dead and, and lives a life that's never ending. Jesus has never died again. Never will. And we go through that death and burial and we're raised up to walk, him, walk with Him now in newness of life as Paul said. And then he goes on, Paul tells us down there, if you'll notice in the center, verse 7, He that is dead is freed from sin. Right here's where we're made freed from sin. Interestingly enough, I was studying one day, and I was studying, I was studying about justification. So I was running uh, the words justified. Of course, to be justified means to be acquitted or declared righteous. And I was running, uh, I had a new Englishman's Greek-English lexicon, and I was looking up this word number in Strong's, and I believe it's 1344 if I remember right, off the back, off my top of my head. It's either 1344 1346. And uh, I ran every place that that word was used. I'd been reading it out of the King James, and all my life I could quote these verses, and it was using the word free. He that is dead is freed from sin. Here's what I discovered that day. That word freed is the same word as justified. When you read about being justified by faith, this is the same word. It's just translated freed in Romans 6, 7 in the King James. And so when Paul says here in Romans 6, 7, he that is dead is freed from sin, he's saying he that is dead is justified from sin. Justified. And the American Standard Version, incidentally, translates Romans 6 and verse 7. He that hath died is justified from sin. It uses justified, which is the correct word here in, uh, in, if you were translating it. It's translated justified about everywhere else. But for some reason here in Romans 6, it's translated freed. Freed, and that's a little bit confusing. Justified. So in this act, you and I are justified from sin. That means acquitted. 
we are acquitted, we are pardoned. That's what takes place in this act. Because in this act we reach the blood of Jesus. We all know that the blood washes sin away. The question is, when do we reach the blood? And the answer is, we reach it in the act of baptism. Because there we're baptized into His death where He shed that blood. And we reach that blood by faith in this, in this act here. Faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. So what God did, He gave us the gospel. He told us the story of Christ's death, burial, resurrection. Then He appointed baptism. And He's saying to us in essence, if you believe my son died, would you express your belief in His death by dying with Him in the act of baptism? If you believe my son was buried, will you be buried with him and express your faith in his burial? If you believe my son rose from the dead the third day, will you rise with him and express your faith in his resurrection? In this act, this simple act, and it's not an act of merit where we earn something with God, it's an act of obedience he appointed where we express our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And it's the transition point from which we leave sin to become a Christian. It's the new birth. When Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. This is what he's talking about here. And so this is the act throughout Scripture in the New Testament where people uh, have, have uh, discovered salvation in this act. It's also the act, if you'll notice, the bottom left corner the act where we get into Christ. I've been telling folks for several years now there's two little, two little words in the New Testament. Sometime you need to do a word study on them if you hadn't because there's far more of them than what I've got mentioned here. They're the words in Christ. The Bible uses the term in Christ a lot. Two little words, in Christ. And how do we get into Christ? Galatians 3, there on the left corner, verse 26, 27. Paul said, You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We get into Christ through baptism. Here's another reason I want to share with us why baptism is important. Now think of this dotted box here as being in Christ. Baptism is the act. We are baptized into Christ. That's how we get into Him. What does it mean to be in Christ? I don't think it means to be literally in the person of Christ, but it, it expresses a very near and intimate relationship with Him. It's actually a spiritual realm, if you will. The Bible talks about being raised up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. This is a spiritual state. It's a, it's a spiritual state of existence with the Lord. Just think of it as this, a spiritual state called being in Christ. Being in Christ. And why do we want to be in Christ? Let me give you several reasons there. Uh, first of all, <coughs> if any man's in Christ, the Bible says he's a new creature. Read with me those scripture there in the little box down there in the bottom that says, In Christ. You'll see the scripture out to the side. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become new. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Some translations say new creation. New creation. This is the new birth. We enter this realm, this spiritual state through baptism. And in it we're a new creature. That is, we talk different. We have a different walk, a different life we live. We have different hopes and dreams and aspirations. Everything about us is new. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's been made new. Old things. Remember Paul said our old man is crucified with him. We put the old man to death in baptism and the new, the new person in Christ emerges. This new creation in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If you're not in Christ today, you're not a new creation. You're still the same old you. Secondly, in Ephesians 1 and 3, we find that in Christ are all of God's spiritual blessings. Every one of them. Notice Ephesians 1 3, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Every one of God's spiritual blessings are in Christ. See that? He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So when we think about all of God's spiritual blessings, now listen, His physical blessings you can have outside of Christ. As I talked about the farmer that gets the sun every day and gets rain on his crops. God gives him breath and gives him food and different things. You can have the material things outside of Christ, but all of His spiritual blessings are found only in Him. Righteousness, peace, joy, salvation, forgiveness, Redemption, mercy, comfort, hope, any, any spiritual thing you can think of is found in Jesus Christ because all spiritual blessings are there. You see, that's why we need to be in Christ. We don't have any of those outside of Christ. They're all in Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Romans 8 and 1. Look at this statement. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we're in Christ, there's no condemnation. That means that Satan cannot come before God and, and condemn you and I for anything we've ever thought, said, or done. That's what that means. So, if Satan should come before God and say, Hey, I remember the time Pat Manning told a whopper. God can look at Satan and say, there's nothing on his record. I pardoned him from that. He's been justified. There's no condemnation. If you're in Christ, you see, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you and I are faithfully abiding in Christ, we're not under condemnation. No one can condemn us. Doesn't matter what we've done. You could have been the world's greatest thief. But if you've repented of that and been baptized into Christ, there's no condemnation. You've been pardoned. And so that's a great blessing. That's why we need to be in Christ. And how do we get into it? We're baptized into it. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 and 7. Paul speaking to Christ said, In whom? We have redemption through His blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. If you're in Christ, you've got redemption. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven of your sin. That's where it's at. It's in Christ. See, those outside of Christ don't have redemption through His blood. They don't have forgiveness of sins. That's why we need to be in Christ. Now, there's a whole lot more of these in Christ blessings we could talk about. Some of you ought to bring us a lesson sometime just on this. Talk about what we have in Christ and enlarge upon that. There's so many things that could be said about this. I'll leave you with these four here this morning. There are good enough reasons why anybody should want to be in Christ. And notice Galatians 3 there on the left corner again. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Later here after this service we will take this family and those that will obey from it. We will baptize them into Christ and they will receive all of these blessings. They will become new creatures. They will have all spiritual blessings. They will be no condemnation. They will have redemption and forgiveness. They will have everything else that's mentioned in Christ. And that's what will come to them. Finally there in the Great Commission, the Lord said to teach them to observe all things. And if you'll look over on the right side here right quickly on the front, let me just talk about why we need to observe all that Jesus commanded. And I would just simply say because Jesus is Lord. He's not just Savior. He's Lord. And the word Lord means ruler. And if He is our Lord, He is our ruler then we are obligated to obey Him. Christ once said in Luke 6, 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So if we're going to call Him Lord, we should obey Him, shouldn't we? And if we're in Him, we need to, we need to, to observe all things whatsoever He commanded. We need to remember first of all, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're a new creature. There's some things to remember. You're a new creature. You think, you speak, you act, you live differently. 2 Corinthians 5 there. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, see. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Number two, we need to study. We need to study. Because our souls need nourishment. We need food. Here a little bit later, we're going to all go eat. We're going to nourish our bodies, aren't we? We're going to give it food. Because it has to have food to live. Our soul has to have food. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, Peter said as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. This Word is our nourishment. It feeds our inner man. And so that's one reason we need to observe all that Jesus commanded. It's food for the soul. That's why we need to study. Number three, when we become a Christian, it's a critical period. We're going to be tempted. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, the Bible says that there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So you and I are going to have temptations. Another reason to study and observe because, just remember this, God will always leave us a way out when we're tempted. 
He'll leave a way to escape. There'll be a little way out of that, see. And He'll never put anything on us that we can't really bear. Number four, we need to understand that we can fall away, that we can fall from grace. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Paul told the Corinthians, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Galatians 5, 1-4 Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ hath become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. The Galatians had gone back to the law for justification. They had left the gospel and God's grace and gone back to trying to keep Moses' law perfectly. And Paul tells them when you do that, go back to circumcision and law keeping. You're, you're a debtor to do the whole law. You're obligated to keep the whole law. And since we can't, then you're going to fall from grace. And you've got no sacrifice for sin when you leave Jesus. The law can't save you, see. And that's what these foolish Galatians, and Paul called them foolish in chapter 3. He said, Foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He marveled that they were removed from the gospel over to this idea of circumcision and law keeping, see. And he tells them, You've fallen from grace. Number five, you and I are going to be persecuted. That's another reason we need to do what Jesus says in studying things. We're going to be teased. We're going to be mocked. We're going to be ridiculed. People are going to make fun of you. You know, you don't run with them like you used to. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You'll suffer persecution. If you're living a good life, you'll be persecuted. Ask Ben about that. He's lost a job over it. That's what happens sometimes. He's a better man for it. God's going to take care of him. Number six, remember that Christ is our example, that we're to walk and talk as Jesus did. Hebrews 12. Let me, let me say something before we read these verses out of chapter 12. Paul pictures in chapter 11 that great that great chapter on men and women of faith. And who does he name? Abel? Noah? Abraham? Moses? He goes on to name others like Joseph. He talks about all these great people of faith. And just picture a big old racetrack out here. And you and I are on that track and we're running that race. And up here in the grandstands, we got witnesses looking on. We got Abel, we got Abraham, we got uh, Moses, we got Noah, let me put Noah in here, Abraham, Moses, David, you could just put these others that he mentions in Hebrews 11 up here, so they're all like spectators up here in the stand, and they've been on this track and every one of them were victors, and now they they. They look at us down here on the track. Here we are running our race. And they're like a big old cloud of witnesses here. Now read chapter 12 and this will make more sense. 
chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and he refers back to those ones in chapter 11, we're compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every, every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood fighting against sin. So the writer here tells us to look to Christ especially, not just these other witnesses like Noah and others, but he said, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Remember His race, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. See, that was part of His race, despising the shame. And now He's sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. See, He said, consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, Striving against sin. Jesus did. He resisted unto blood. We haven't shed a drop of blood for Christ. Not one. That's what he tells these folks here. Not like Christ had to do it. So he said, look to that example. You got witnesses looking on here, but look to Jesus. Pattern your life after Him. Endure as He did. Suffer as He did. And understand that this race can be won. That's what all these witnesses tell us. Abel and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, every one of them testify to us as witnesses that this race can be successfully run. That we can receive the crown just like they did. That's what they're telling us. Finally, number seven down here in the bottom right. Remember also that you and I are salt and light. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus says that we are salt and we are light. Now those two things do a lot of things. And if some of you would like to develop a lesson sometime, I'd love to hear it on salt or light or both. David's pretty good at stuff like this. Ben might want to do this for us, but... Think about salt and what it does. You know, salt used to be what was put on meat to preserve it before refrigeration. Salt preserves things. When you think back in the Bible, you remember when God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? What did He do? Abraham pleaded with Him. He said, Lord, if you find 50 there, if you can find 50 righteous in those cities, will you spare them? God said, I'll do it for 50. In other words, 
<coughs> these 50 people would have preserved the lives of everybody there in that city. 50 righteous. God couldn't find them. Abraham said, what if you only find 40? God said, I'll do it for 40. 30? I'll do it for 30. Got him on down finally to 10. God said, if I can find 10, I'll spare it. He couldn't even find 10. And so he didn't spare those cities. But 10 righteous people would have preserved all of those cities. I've wondered many times if America wouldn't be gone right now without Christians. That God's left us here because there's some righteous. That because of the righteous, He spared these people. Maybe the sinners in this nation don't realize how important Christians are. But that may be well why we exist today. This may well be. And we're losing that, aren't we? And one wonders how long he'll preserve this country and not bring judgment. Light seasons, it flavors things. Christians make things better. They flavor them. They season them. That's what our lives ought to be. We ought to season things. Light or salt does something else. Makes you thirsty. We ought to make people thirsty for what we have. Salt stings. You ever get it in your wounds in a cut? We ought to sting people with our lives. We ought to cause them a little bit of pain and displeasure. Our lives should be a sting to others a little bit because they don't have what we do. These are all properties, you see, of salt and things that salt does. Some of you want to expand on those. As I said, I'd love to hear the study. We are also light, and of course light reveals things. And so our lives should expose things. Our, light, our lives should reveal things. Uh, light also gives direction. Our lives ought to give direction to folks. Ought to be a source of direction to them. They ought to be able to look at folks and say, well, this is how you raise children. They look over here, for example, at Ben and Lana, or they look at David and and they look at the families there that, that are being raised by them. And so their lives give direction. Same with you other parents that are here. I don't mean to slide anyone with children. But you see, that's what light does. And so these are all reasons why we need to observe what Jesus said. It's going to make us able to do all these things. To study and to be able to realize these these things that the Lord wants us to remember. And that's just a small portion of them that I put on there for that study at this time. So these are things that occur before, during, and after baptism. I've shown you what we are without baptism. I've shown you what happens during baptism. We've looked over here on the right side about things that come along now after baptism that we need to observe. It's a never-ending process. And baptism is just the beginning. So this is the study that I wanted to, to, us to do this morning. And we're going to have an invitation song to encourage anyone that needs to be baptized or anyone that needs prayer, for that matter, to simply come and make that known and to have a seat up on the front, front seat. And So we're going to ask the Ford family, those of it that wish to be baptized, to have a seat at the front here.
Brother David in just a little bit is going to take their confession. They will make a confession of their faith in Christ and then we will take them and we have a place arranged over at Springtown to baptize them over there in their baptistry and we'll go over there. And Brother Ben will do that baptizing today. So it's going to be a wonderful time. If any of you that are here today are thinking about baptism that you need to do it this is a wonderful time for you to do that as well and you can certainly go with us you can confess your faith in Christ also either here or over there and you can obey the Lord in baptism if you start out to go over there and you think on the way you know what I should have gone up this morning you still can over there and so you think about that if it's something that you've been needing to do We'll have this invitation song and ask those that would like to be baptized to come and have a seat over here on these front seats as we all rise and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.